have to go back! Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And do you hear the people sing? Oh. Singing the songs of... I'm sorry. This is the wrong musical. So you went French. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Weird, weird choice. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, My my history books, they were just like... The pages were glued together. Anyway, in celebration of Hamilton making its way to Disney+, we decided to look back at... The previously known popular American musical, 1776. I love the way you say popular. Like, I guess it's popular. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know. This is one of those movies where I thought we were going to get into dark man territory, where it's just like, it's a super obscure, deep cut. And uh, it was very popular. There was, like, so much information about this. So I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, because you had never seen it before. I never seen it. I before. was fairly familiar with it. It's been maybe two decades since I've seen it, but uh, my wife sings the songs all the time, so I feel like I just saw it last week. Yeah. So we're gonna dive deep into this and uh, and then share with you our thoughts. But it wouldn't be complete uh, if we weren't going to actually. We're gonna do this whole review. As a musical. Oh. So, Grayson, you got the notes I sent you, right? Um, yeah, I'm just catching up on some emails. Oh, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, no, I, I, that is not going to happen. Uh, you don't want me singing anything. Uh, so, 1776 is, the movie is a 1972 movie because they couldn't, couldn't wait. wait just four years. Impatient. Uh, uh it's directed by Peter H. Hunt with the screenplay written by Peter Stone uh, based on his book for the 1969 Broadway musical of the same name. So let's go back to the origins of the play and then we'll get into the movie. So uh, Sherman Edwards, a writer of pop songs with several top 10 hits in the late 50s and early 60s, spent several years developing lyrics and libretto for a musical based on the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Edwards recounted that, quote, I wanted to show the founding fathers at their outermost limits. These men were the cream of their colonies. They disagreed and fought with each other, but they understood commitment. And though they fought, they fought affirmatively. Uh, And producer Stuart Astro recommended that librettist Peter Stone collaborate with Edwards on the book of the musical. And so Stone recalled, the minute you heard the song, Sit Down, John, you knew what the whole show was. You knew immediately that John Adams and the others were not going to be treated as gods or cardboard characters chopping down cherry trees and flying kites with strings and keys on them. It had this very affectionate familiarity. It wasn't reverential. And so the play went on to be a huge success. Um, it was honestly a, a really long running show. In 1969, it won at least three Tony Awards uh, for Best Musical, Best Performance by a Featured Actor in a Musical, uh, and Best Direction of a Musical. Uh, and, you know, it's the. It's what happens with popular things is that it gets turned into a movie thing. <laughs> and they, very much like Hamilton, got pretty much all of the original cast from the Broadway production 
and immortalize them in film form. So uh, 1976, the movie is the film adaptation of that featuring, I think, the real national treasure of that is William Daniels, mm-hmm. um, who, by the way, we all know William Daniels as Mr. Feeney. I didn't know he was the voice of Kit from Knight Rider. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is the center point of this whole movie, though, which is interesting from a story perspective, being like, who's in an ensemble piece like this? Who's going to be the person that we follow? And uh, it's a great journey because he's he's a curmudgeon. He's he's not well liked. And so he's got the most to kind of fight against. It's a losing battle the entire time. Um, And I also just I'm I'm sure you had this Easter egg in your notes, Ricky, but I pulled it from memory. So I'm very proud to share it. Good, is that good. William Daniels, yes, played Mr. Feeney, but do you remember the high school he taught at in Boy Meets World? That would be John Adams High. James K. <laughs> Polk. No, uh, John Adams High, John that's Adams amazing. High, yeah. Nice little, uh, wow. nice little Easter egg for William Daniels in Boy Meets World. That is fantastic. Yeah, so William Daniels, Ken Howard, John Cullum, and Howard Da Silva reprise their roles for the film. Um, and Ralston Hill, Ron Hallgate, David Ford, Charles Rule, and others repeated their roles from the Broadway production, marking their only appearances in a feature film. I think the thing that was the most bizarre to me on the casting was looking at Dickinson and just being like, I know it's not Phil Hartman, but maybe it is Phil Hartman. Um, yes. But it was Donald Madden. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, great cast. Um, it just so many character actors we could go on and on about. But this movie has so many. Oh, who? I know that face or I know that voice. Yes. Interestingly enough, I couldn't really pin a, uh, a budget for this movie whatever um, it takes so basically uh the loose budget from my understanding is it six million um but there is no box office official because it has several um academic uses mm-hmm. and so we i was able to track down it had 2.8 million in rentals mm. well i know they got four extra dollars from me because i was not willing to sit through the pluto <laughs> ads and i just got it on yeah. itunes instead yeah. yeah right yeah no those those numbers have not been <laughs> okay. updated uh but it did make its way to LaserDisc. so if you own the 80s uh a 1980s edition of the 1776 movie on LaserDisc. Um, we will open up a P.O. box so you can send it to us. It's going to be a real big uh, P.O. box. let us know you have yeah. it first. <laughs> real big. We, uh, post office, what's uh, laser disc We're going to be getting a lot of laser discs. Uh, what I think is just what really warms my heart about the uh, film-watching community, and maybe some of you out there have contributed to this beautiful, uh, beautiful happenstance, but the IMDb rating for this movie is 7.6. Wow. Yeah. 1776 nailed the 7.6. No one else needs to go and leave a review. No one needs to mess it up. But nope. that is, it's there. is perfect. Balanced as all things should be. <laughs> um, but yeah, this movie did like really well. Just uh, You talked about the awards that it, it got as, as a play, but the movie itself also got an Oscar nomination for Best Cinematography. We kind of take for granted like camera moves a lot of wow, times, but yeah. like 
the framing of it. And there, there was a lot that I appreciated this time about the cinematography, even the use, this is next level stuff, but even the use of red lights and, and blue light to foreshadow the political, uh, differences that that would grow from these early conversations i thought was really uh interesting and yeah being able to move around these very complex sets up stairways and and through you know 56 delegates in a in in the congress being able to navigate that space so it got the nominee harry stradling jr got the the cinematography nominee for that it was also nominated golden globe for straight up best picture uh comedy or musical because they differentiate that with the Golden Globes. Um, and then it got an NBR award for uh, top 10 films. And that's the National Board of Review uh, for the U.S. in 1972. So it was in the top 10 films of 1972. So wow. uh, it's well-liked. Yeah. I mean, this movie, I mean, I, from my understanding, based on my research, this was the Hamilton of its day. Um, I mean, it got people excited and interested uh, in history. Um, it added texture to these uh, historical figures who, you know, I think a lot of people can just see them as he's just like, oh, yeah, that's just a painting of George Washington. And I guess he existed with the exception of it being, you know, all the yeah. singing and the dancing. Um, you know, you, you kind of get this story um, of one of the greatest battles during the American Revolution occurred in the Independence Hall amongst the delegates. Uh, and even just the idea that uh, there was, you know, tension about, like, should we be independent? Like, I, I think this, the, I never thought of it, that they would need to agree that, like, they should be an independent nation. Yeah, it's a big state. I mean, it's group treason if you look at it for what it what it was. And yeah, we're kind of taught like, yeah, everyone wanted it. They were on board. But I think the laying out of the arguments of, you know, we, we have some benefits or some perks and really seeing both sides right. of it. Um, I think, it, well, even uh, I, I've been told, I did not attend school in England, but I've been told by people who did that they, you know, we call it the American Revolution here. They just call it the American War. If I'm wrong, listeners, oh. if I'm wrong on that, please let me know. But just the difference in the way that we talk about, you know, what happened and the perspective of it, I think is really well represented here. And uh, the character, the most interesting character to me in this whole thing is Dickinson, who is the the dissenting mm. Philadelphia uh, delegate who wants to stay under British rule and he wants he wants to be part of that uh, that that body. Um, and he I mean for for lack of a better term, he's the villain of the movie, I guess. I mean he's the anta antagonist is the better word. He's the antagonist of the movie because he's counter to what John Adams wants and, and what Benjamin Franklin want. But um, the fact that they kind of recognize him and his convictions and when he goes off at the end saying, like, I'm, I'm going to join the war and I'm going to fight, like, I'm actually going to not debate about it. I'm going to put action to it. Um, and then they you know recognize him as he leaves. I thought just showed the civility of what they were trying to do and that the, the respect for opposing opinions, even in the most life or death matters. Like he's going off to war. He completely disagrees with what's happening here and they're still able to show civility. Um, I just love that representation of it at, at the end of this movie. Absolutely. And, and, 
and I really appreciate just the the this the mm. Sorkian approach to this play, especially when they decided to like characterize. Uh, I think Benjamin Franklin was <laughs> particularly fun, uh, but but similar to Hamilton, uh, they did a fair amount of research. Um, the authors of the play created the narrative based on later accounts and educated guesses because um, originally Congress was held in secrecy uh, and there are no contemporary records on the debate over the Declaration of Independence. But, you know, they added dialogue um, from words written often years or even decades later by the people actually involved and rearranged things for dramatic effect. Actually, one of the interesting things I found from uh, doing research is um, the wording of the Declaration of Independence was debated for three days before being approved on July 4th. Um, and the vote for independence didn't hinge on some passages being removed from the Declaration as implied in the play, uh, since Congress had already voted in favor of independence before debating mm -hmm. the Declaration. But for the sake of drama, basically, they kind of layered those two things together. But they, the actual vote for independence came on July 2nd uh, with the approval of Lee's resolution of independence. And then the wording um, you know, was approved yeah. on July 4th. So they kind of bridge those two gaps. And I'm just like, well, you know what I didn't <laughs> know before watching this movie? That fact. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just fascinating. It's fascinating how they are able to take historical characters and actual things that happened and laid it out in a structure and a story that kind of made these historical figures yeah. people. I think one of my favorite things about Hamilton is that it really humanized the, um, you know, the founding fathers of America. I'm just like, oh, that's right. Like, th these just weren't these, you know, war heroes um, these were like human beings who like lived these lives and had these different passions and wants and desires. Um, and uh, the letters uh, between Abigail and John Adams was just, you know, one of my favorite little human things. And, and those are based on real letters that were exchanged, like saltpeter. It's a married couple squabble and it became... A big hit. But no, you're right. The, the humanizing of these larger-than-life figures from history, I think, is incredibly valuable. It's probably why we spent a week in history class watching this movie. Because it's a long movie, and it sometimes it feels like this debate's happening oh, yeah. in real time. But the, the value <laughs> of seeing historical figures not as figures, but as people, I think is massive. Yeah, so we, we watched this mm -hmm. in history class. We also watched Glory. We watched Johnny Tremaine. We watched a lot of movies in that American history class. Um, but there is value in, okay. in realizing, and, and that's, that's, that's what history is supposed to do, right? You're supposed to see the, the actual actions of real people to inform our modern day course of action uh, because it's, you know, those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. And, and so being able to recognize like they're just people that were in a, in a situation that they wanted to change. How did they do that? Because it really is an uphill battle for John Adams through most of the film, but whether or not they were actually like this, I do think there's tremendous value in, in remembering that they were humans, they were business owners, they were uh, fathers, and they also just kind of squabbled, and there was kind of this frat mentality a lot of the time, and 
there's too oh much rum and be yes. like, yeah, people are people like that. That's important to remember. Yeah. Man, it was so fun. like the amount of jokes, the like full hearted, like people tapping on the table to like applause. I'm like, this is Congress yeah. looks like fun. You guys. <laughs> Uh, before we go further, I, I'd love to just hear from you, Grayson. What was your favorite song uh, from 1776? I have I have at least yeah, three I, favorites. I do like the song where they're um, trying to decide who's going to write the Declaration of Independence. Um, I think it's well shot, like on yes. the stairs and all that, and everyone has their excuse. And I think it does represent like how people will so easily pass up opportunities. Um by thinking they are inadequate or whatever lies they, they've told themselves. Like, no one was born equipped to write the Declaration of Independence. Um, and even once Thomas Jefferson does accept it, uh, he has a very difficult time doing it, and it goes through tons of revisions, and it's ripped apart. Mm-hmm. I think as people that make things, that's incredibly encouraging. Um, being like, you know, in yes. the words of Nick Cage, greatest document ever written, uh, most important piece, I'm going to steal it. Um, I, I think I think being like, yeah, it is this, you know, kind of fabled document at this point, but it started out just like any other Google Doc uh, in a group thread, just getting ripped <laughs> apart and, and shuffled around. And so yeah. I, I like that that song kind of shows that process. Um, what would you have in mind? Yes. Um, so the the opening number, <laughs> "Sit Down, John," uh, is just a delight. Uh, just because everyone is just well, someone open up a window. I just just it just feels so. I, it sets the tone so great. Uh, but also the egg. <laughs> That's a great uh, song. The egg. I just that song to me feels like the closest uh, thing that I could hear a version of that being. Uh, in Hamilton, just because it's the it, it's something. Actually, there, there's a song. Uh, the story of tonight, I think, is the closest thing to or the, the parallel, uh, because it's just uh, them talking about like, hey, we don't know what this thing will be, but we we're here to see how it goes, and we're willing to venture mm-hmm. forward with it. Uh, and and I and it just I just found myself uh, singing like waiting for the chirp, chirp, <laughs> chirp, uh, chirp. I guess is the, the chichi churi, chichi uh, churi. Is, is that true? <laughs> has anyone here ever seen a turkey? <laughs> and and then also pretty much all of the exchanges between uh, John and Abigail. Uh, just just the the saltpeter like. <laughs> Abigail, what is this? Salt Peter. I'm like, I love this. I there's no there's no real reason for me to love this other than I just like that it exists. Yeah. And I love that he reciprocates where McNair is like, get all the pins in Philadelphia City. Like I and he's like, what? And it's just anything that you sew with, collect it. And he's like, oh, <laughs> that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. No, I really love that. Um but was there anything else that you noticed but, uh, between the first time that you watched it um, in history class and then this time? Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the things that's really interesting about this, and I mean, I think it has such a Sorkonian feel to it, but it's hard to tell what uh, is an actual quote and what was invented for the movie mm-hmm. just because it's so well written. Because um, right. like last night when my wife and I were watching it, we were like looking up quotes and we're like, oh, okay, so this was attributed to him, but this was actually fabricated. And so there's so much of that. 
um, to where it ultimately is like, does it matter if it supports you know, the personalities of these people, because, you know, similar to like Steve Jobs, this is about John Adams trying to play the orchestra. And it's uh, really interesting to watch. I think I appreciated that a lot more this time. I mean, this movie, I feel like this movie, as a podcast, we don't really go political either way. But um, I think this movie does change uh, every four years. Because you were adding on to the history that they are starting. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's really interesting to see. Uh, mm-hmm. Current events kind of put a filter on it. And, um, and I'll bring this back in reasons to recommend. But I think uh, this movie is worth rewatching every every now and then. Just being like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a really big thing. It's a really, really massive thing undertaking yeah uh that that they did and to see how many times it almost crumbled Mm -hmm. uh over some big issues and some really trivial issues at the same time um it's just like uh, it's a it's amazing that we ever got here (laughs) as a country so um yeah i i was able to appreciate that a lot more this time i also uh this time had a lot more um uh, and second take titles running through my head, oh, uh, yeah. such as 56 Angry Men. Um, That's exactly what I, I, I <laughs> yeah. was like. It's, it's if like, I was talking to my wife, I'm like, OK, I'm watching 12 Angry Men, the musical like that. Like that. We just if that hasn't been made yet, <laughs> maybe uh, circle with a C circle. With a C. Yeah. My other one was it's always songy in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's pretty songy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, a big thing that I that I picked up on because they do talk about it in in the show I'm about to reference. I was going to use it for a headcanon, but uh, it's just cleaner to lay it out here. The delegate from New Hampshire. I don't know if you caught his name. His name was Josiah Bartlett, and uh, for fans of West Wing, that is the name of the president in West Wing, and they make the connection oh. that he is the descendant named. Wow named after his historic relative. And it kind of creates this sense of he's destined to become president and West Wing and all that. Like, he has this legacy. Wow. But every time they, they said, uh, you know, Bartlett, I was like, ah, nice. I know your descendants. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was fun. And, uh, you know, having seen a lot more West Wing now than I did when I first watched this, um, I was able to appreciate that as well. And then the, the John Adams High connection from Boy Meets World, I, th- I thought was pretty fun. Yeah. I really, I stand by the idea that I think almost all of history should be taught through song. Oh, yes. Schoolhouse Rock proved that. I mean, it just, it, it just makes sense. And, uh, and, and, and again, it, it just made everyone um, three-dimensional mm, for yeah. me. And I really appreciate that. I have a quick question yeah. for you, Grayson. How does a ragtag volunteer team from a movie podcast somehow make new ideas to make the movie last? How do we explore ideas about the film and go higher, make these dental stories shine brighter than a campfire? Yo, turns out we have a secret weapon and segment you know and love that's just about to step in. It's constantly confusing, confounding studio henchmen. Everyone give it for FBF's favorite theory weapon. Hey, Cannon! Head cannon. Ricky, that was incredible. <laughs> I tapped my desk to you, sir, at the expense of my now freaked out dog. But I tapped my desk. That was amazing. Thank you. 
So Headcan is a part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on the evidence provided by the film. So, you know, it, it, like we say with a lot of historical uh, events and stories, um, you know, the biggest headcanon is that's how it happened. <laughs> oh, true. Uh, <laughs> Um, but I think my I think my favorite I, piece of headcanon um, is just that um, this ties into the world of musicals, um, mm. and basically that uh, just in the world where musicals exist, this is in that world. Got it. Yeah, it, it's the rules of. Because it's not, that's not how mm-hmm. life works. Uh, you can't communicate with your loved ones uh, via crossfades. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So this, does that mean it's, uh, I guess there's a, like a musical multiverse then with Hamilton mm-hmm. in 1776. Interesting. Right. I like that. It's historic. Yeah. Yeah. Because honestly, if you look at it, I really think that 1776 is like a mm-hmm. meanwhile to Hamilton because like because Hamilton addresses like the letters that George Washington was sitting or sending which was written right. by advantage Hamilton. points the whole thing yeah yes uh so I I just like that kind of uh side by side I'm like oh this is like a meanwhile to what's happening in Hamilton oh, I like that that's great mm-hmm. um yeah it is such a struggle to always do a headcanon for historical representations so my initial headcanon um just from the the scene when Benjamin Franklin and John Adams are downstairs waiting for Thomas Jefferson and 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 his wife, then she comes down and they get to meet her, and you, you realize she's Martha Jefferson. And so my headcanon was that um, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington resolved all their feuds um, when they reminded each other uh, that their wives are both named Martha. <laughs> what did you say? Dispatch someone to save Martha. Oh, oh we're friends now. We're friends. Uh, my oh, other, my other piece of headcanon is that this is um, this is a spoiler alert for Shyamalan village situation. Uh, this actually takes place okay. in the future, where time, like uh, the years, have reset. America has fallen. Historical documents have been destroyed. And they're rebuilding under the code names from the original founders because what they're doing is so risky and dangerous. Everyone is using code names uh, so as not to be tracked down for treason. I think part of the support of this um, is that instead of letters, uh, what we're actually seeing between Abigail Adams and John Adams, um, it's not a trickery of movie uh, of movie conventions. This is actually holographic projections that they're using future tech to communicate with each other. Now, the question is, wow. why doesn't George Washington have that future tech? Why has he got to send that sad-looking messenger boy? Um, good question. It's, like, super expensive. Yeah, Wi-Fi is really spotty out there. Real spotty. Uh, and it would their signal could be traced, and mm-hmm. it would give away their position. So this is the distant future. They are rebuilding America. Wow. Um, and actually, Jefferson used scraps of, you know, historical documents to really piece it together. And so they, they do have some documents that they've maintained, uh, again, spoiler alert for this Denzel Washington movie, Book of Eli, uh, where they have 
They have continued on with certain documents like Thomas Paine's Common Sense, which they make reference to, like who's read it and who hasn't. And yeah, this is about rebuilding America. So that would be the wow. twist is it's at the end, it shows 1776 and then like whatever the next thing is after AD. Yeah. <laughs> like oh. the, the new calendar. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but P- there is precedent. <laughs> I was well, say, 1776, PA, post-apocalyptic. Uh, or post-America. Uh, so maybe that's Reduction why... Reduction assistant. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I... I was like, oh, got a... Pennsylvania. Uh, that's why they had to get... Uh, well, that's why McNair probably doesn't agree with calling it United States of America again, because he's like, that's the old thing. I want, I want something new. Um, I so, love that. Also, why there are so few delegates left is this is after some terrible terrible catastrophe and that's as far as they can uh, communicate with each other unless unless you got that holographic abigail adams technology man uh password is salt peter <laughs> well, lowercase s capital a uh that is amazing i love that because it really i love how it just changes the frame it's very Shyamalan-esque it's just like <laughs> it makes you like it only changes how you see the entire movie only at the end you're like wait a second what was i watching yeah it's it's easy to poke holes in that headcanon so i am gonna title that headcanon uh unfounded fathers there we go man grayson they just need you to start naming things (laughs) need a professional namer (laughs) here's my card i call it a card all right i didn't write any other musical intros just so you know uh (laughs) none needed Go out on top. Thank you. Uh, all right. Now we're going to go into the part of the show where we like to talk to you about recast and remakes. Recast. Remake. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? Uh, I, I would love it if they either uh, did the same production, um, mm-hmm. but just like take everyone takes on a different role. Oh, um, yeah. Like what they just did for uh, Frankenstein where you had uh it was a tale of two sherlocks basically where you had the, the sherlock from elementary and you had been at a cumberbatch and they would switch who was frankenstein and who was frankenstein's monster so you'd yeah. have everyone kind of jumble around on this yes uh the whatever it is called like casting musical chairs i don't know what to call it but just you everyone swaps roles and um and that would be fun if they did that either with the uh, the original cast of Hamilton um, or the cast of Les Mis, uh, uh, yeah, the Hugh Jackman version, uh-huh. um, not the Liam Neeson version, yeah. <laughs> although, <laughs> although, uh, uh, but the yeah, I I just think that the the movical um, cast. Of, of of players, I think just swapping anyone in and out would, would be a lot of fun, just yeah. to see how different people would take on these characters. Huh, that's interesting. I, I yeah, I really like that, and I I like casting um, some of these people with you know British actors as mm-hmm. well because they do make the point like that's your homeland, like right. it birthed you, England birthed you. I think it would kind of reinforce some of that struggle. Because uh, in my recasting, I was like toying with the idea of, of Fastbender just because Steve Jobs' connection kind of got me there. Uh, uh, 
casting wise, but ultimately I went for John Adams. I went with Jim Parsons, oh. just as someone who typically plays someone who knows that they're they're right uh, <laughs> in the face of adversity. He does that really well. Uh, knows they're right in the face of being told they're wrong, and uh, their personality gets in the way a lot of the time. Um, for Ben Franklin, uh, I kept it very Sorkin for a lot of these. For Ben Franklin, Jeff Daniels. <laughs> And then for Jefferson, yes. I, I cast based on jawline for this one, um, Army Hammer. Yes, of course. So you saying Jim Parsons immediately reminded me that, oh, I know exactly who I want recast in this. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say John mm-hmm. Adams stays um, a human. <laughs> um, maybe John, Ben, and... Um, Jefferson, okay. stay humans, but everyone else are Muppets. <laughs> so you went Avenue PA. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the one. Oh, Ricky, this is such a great idea. <laughs> I, I almost maybe it's a terrible idea. I don't know. This is the debate that they had in the movie. Is it a good idea or a bad idea? Yeah. Um. <laughs> so so it starts out with almost everyone being Muppets or some kind of puppet. Um, at the beginning, except for uh, Franklin and Adams, like you're saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. But as they convince delegates for independence, they stop becoming puppets and become people to really emphasize that they are puppets of the British. That's that's the message we're sent. <laughs> <laughs> Will you stop being a puppet under British rule? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, I love it. Definitely written with one side of history in mind. Um, But yeah, there's that. But there needs to be more puppet adaptations in general. And I support that. Muppet 1776. (laughs) I also think it it would be really interesting. I mean, Hamilton with casting really shook a lot of things up. It's very intentional casting, intentional musical style. I think that doing a similar thing with this um, with an all-female cast would be fascinating as well because, I mean, yeah. it is... The, there are times, I mean, there are, there are times where I was just shocked at how many dudes were on screen. And we recently reviewed <laughs> Remember the Titans. So I was like, this is a lot. Um, a lot and so for guys. that, just the, the main two I was thinking, for Benjamin Franklin, Kathy Bates would be great. Um, and then mm-hmm. for John Adams, Natalie Portman, because she knows a thing or two about speaking to Congress or the Senate. Doesn't she, though? <laughs> Is this how democracy dies? With a glorious applause. Uh, Debate in uh, committee, committee, uh, committee, committee. I love that. That that would be absolutely phenomenal. So good. Yeah. All right, now we're going to go to our final segment where we like to give you our reasons to recommend. So, Grayson, why would you recommend the musical 1776? I recommend 1776 um, because, yeah, it has great songs. It's got fun performances, costume sets. But ultimately, this idea that the personalities we hail as near demigods in America are actually very flawed and small and petty at times and largely just a group of ineffective men. I mean, they they said they were there for a year. And when we pick up with them, they are debating, you know, what uniforms the troops should be wearing and things like that when there are bigger issues at hand. And how relatable is that? Absolutely, that's what happens. Um, and so I think 
it, it makes what they accomplish even more astounding. Uh, to me, it's, it's very similar to like when you look at the 12 disciples, you know, where they, it was really a ragtag group of misfits uh, that were tasked with an enormous thing. It's a very similar feel. And I think that this movie brings that out. Oh, where's that movie? <laughs> oh, it's, it's Jesus Christ Superstar. That's right. Now I remember. Um, but it's ultimately, you know, a, a tale of three time periods, I think, when you look at it. Oh, yeah. um, and it, it, it's important to recognize the time period that the story represents, obviously, where it takes place. Um, but it's also viewed in the, the time that the movie was written, just a few years before the, the bicentennial when this movie came out. And so people are contemplating their history and, you know, the 70s, very contentious time, a time of unrest in, in a lot of parts of the country. And you have to watch it through the eyes of how we're viewing it now. And so I think it's important to recognize that the general population of all those times believe that they are living in the most broken time. And this story shows that in the face of conflict, something new can be born. And there's always an opportunity to unite in a way that people never believed possible. To me, this movie is, is a great example of when we unite uh, and do something bigger than ourselves, that there is a chance, whether it's then, whether it's when it was uh, originally filmed, or whether we're watching it now, or when we hit our tricentennial, which a lot of us will live to see, there is always an opportunity to right the wrongs in our country and where we live and create a place that is truly a home that gives liberty and justice for all. Wow, that's that's great, and and thank you for introducing the word tricentennial into my <laughs> life. I uh, I haven't used it ever. Today's the first time. Uh, I totally agree because I think the the great thing about um, the movicle seventeen seventy six is that I I really appreciate changing the narrative or at the very least exploring the medium of musicals or even drama with historical figures because um, whether the facts are accurate or not, I think it takes these these historical figures who we have heard about and know exist and kind of puts them in our shoes. Like we uh, I think the, these historical figures can almost be seen as like superheroes um, or, or more specifically Superman. Uh, Superman as a character, uh, people have called him like the big blue boy scout um, who always does no wrong and always does the right thing, this, that, the other. But that has been what his reputation has been over the course of decades of us having and knowing who he is. But when you actually look at the original Superman stories, he wasn't always that myth. He didn't even fly until much later. Um, but if you look at the original stories of Superman, he was fighting against different things. He was just barely above being a human. He's like, oh, he's faster than a speeding bullet. Um, stronger than a speeding locomotive. Can leap buildings in a single bound. Like, those Granted, amazing feats, that's not the, the heat ray vision flying around the world several times to make time go reverse Superman that we know. Uh, and so I think that the icon and image of Superman tends to be the lens in which we look at a lot of our historical figures. But if we go back and we see um, and imagine, it's like, okay, but what, like, 
before they became the icon of John Adams, before, you know, these historical figures made their way onto American currency, who were they as people? Uh, and what were their opinions? What were their personalities like? How did they exist in their life outside of Congress? Mm. All of this, I think, just makes me realize so much how, like, history is made by people. Uh, and it only gets made when ideas get put to action. And it was really, really cool to see how um, even the idea that any number of these historical figures had to fight, had to uh, be disagreed with, uh, and had to convince other people that, that the independence was worth fighting for. E- even the, the last person who was uh, signing uh, the, the declaration, uh, he's like, listen, I don't want history to have to remember me. I don't want to be remembered in history. Uh, I, don't, I don't want this to be my legacy, to be the only opposing force for this. Because, you know... Granted, based off the way I know from Hamilton, um, not a lot of these people were expecting like these particularly like long lifespans mm-hmm. per se, or even um, they, they weren't thinking uh, you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the future. But they were knowing that like at the very least, this can be the rudder that steers the ship in a different direction mm-hmm. and they were willing to take that different direction and it's uh it was really cool and, and i really appreciate understanding history with that texture yeah um and with that uh with with the ability to to take the paintings of these historical figures and uh see them as people who were pausing for a portrait in a moment and then moving on and living the rest of their life and really like that yeah that's beautiful but ultimately after you watch hamilton several times uh on disney plus and you're like man if i just wish they had another american musical in 1776 <laughs> will will satisfy uh that thirst and then you'll probably go back and watch hamilton again yeah because, and you know. maybe pick up the violin <laughs> <laughs> and that is our review of the 1972 movie about a musical 1776 <laughs> let us know there's just so many numbers uh let us know what you remember about the movie on our social media on all social platforms twitter facebook instagram we are at flashback flicks and it would mean so much to us if you could leave us a rating or review on your podcasting platform of choice it really helps um sign basically you are signing a declaration of um, maybe not independence, but just approval of this podcast by leaving a rating and review. A declaration of into podcast. <laughs> there you go. That you're I into like this it. podcast. Ah, uh, declaration of into podcast. Into podcast. Uh, uh, yes, on a scale of one to five windows that need to be opened, uh, how would you rate it? You know what, Ricky, usually I jump in here and I like tweak the rating scale, but today I'm going to abstain courteously. <laughs> Thank you. Is this podcast so hot that you need to open up several windows? <laughs> it's a five-window podcast. It's hot in here. <laughs> Don't worry about those flies. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Now.
Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. With Russell Crowe's unhinged swerving onto our screens next week, we're taking a look at the 2002 Ben Affleck and Samuel L. Jackson thriller, Changing Lanes. Oh, because it's like Face Off and their last name is Lane ah. and then they have to switch. <laughs> yes. I want his lane changed. <laughs> <laughs>